Good morning, church. Harlem, Harlem, baby, that's right. It is always good to be back in Harlem. Thank you for having us. Um, you know, Harlem always reminds me and makes me grateful because of the relationships here, because of the way you guys have built up my life, uh, my family's life. Dawn and I, my wife, we met here in Harlem, got married here in Harlem. My firstborn was an infant when we left Harlem, and now she's all of 13. So um, I'm just tremendously grateful. And also, you know, we come back and we, we get older, right? Our lives have changed. I have two daughters now, and that has changed me some. You know, you do things for your kids that you would never do for yourself. Like, I just shave my head. I, I, you know, I, I keep my personal grooming simple. But, you know, my daughters, my youngest one, for the first time, she went to get her hair laid yesterday. And so she got it laid, and this morning, um, before I was working on my sermon, it was about six in the morning, she came up, and it had come out of her wrap. And so she was distraught. And so she came to me and she's like, Dad, my, my hair, what am I going to do? So I don't know, Dawn is sleeping, what am I going to do? So 6 o'clock in this morning, I'm on YouTube looking at how to wrap a doobie. Life changes us, right? I know how to wash hair, detangle hair, I know how to use the rat's tooth comb, all of that stuff. Because life changes us. You know, it's been encouraging this year. This year, we, uh, a lot has happened. My wife, uh, there was an exam that she had uh, been trying to pass for many years. Uh, she became a board-certified behavior analyst. So, you know, a lot happens. And then what's great in all of that is that we get to still serve in the church in different ways. We were able to do um, help with the uh, special needs camp uh, for Hope. And, you know, we're having a great time right now with our Bible talk. We've uh, added about seven people over these last couple of years. And so this Christian life is such a blessing. The things we get to do, the, th the way we get to grow, the way we get to have these relationships over the years. I'm so grateful for the Warrens who've been there at every single stage of our lives. You know, it is a rich, rich blessing that we have in this church. And so I want to be around a lot longer to do a lot more things. And I see so many people here who have been here for many years. And we need you to be around a lot longer with all of your strength giving to the church, giving to your families, experiencing the blessings of God. And so today, James asked me to preach about loving God with all of your strength as it relates to our health and to our bodies. Let's turn to Luke chapter 10 and let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much just that you are a gracious God and that you give us everything that we need in this life for life and for godliness. We pray that as we learn, as we look at your scriptures in loving you with all of our strength, we can get a spiritual understanding of what that means. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
what is written in the law, he replied, how do you, what is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. This scripture is repeated in many different places within the Bible. Jesus calls it the greatest commandment. And I, I think you guys have been doing a series on loving God um, from the scripture. So today I'm talking about loving God with all of your strength. Now, if we look at what the actual scripture means, we could just say, all right, strength means physical strength. It would be too easy to go that way. But what it actually means is love God with all of your might. Love God with everything you have, with all of your resources. So you've got to bring everything together in your relationship with God to give to him. Why? Because the more we love, the more we show compassion in the world, the more we show empathy in the world, the more hearts are healed, the more people get to know Jesus, right? So aside from God, what is your biggest resource? Is it money? Some of us don't have much. It's probably not that. Is it friends? Is it family? No, your biggest resource is you. Aside from God, your biggest resource is you, your mind, your body, your strength, your life, your spirit. When life happens, you get yourself together, right? When things happen, you pull it together. Look, at every stage in your life, sometimes when the chips are down and you didn't know you have enough strength, Yes, we pray and God gives us strength, but then you have to go and show up and do the things you need to do, right? That's what we've been doing our whole life. Congratulations, you've made it. You are still here. With everything you've been through, you're still here today. What, why do I say all of this? Because you matter. Because taking care of yourself matters. Are you taking care of the biggest resource that God has given you? You can't enjoy life without a, without a healthy mind and a healthy body. You can't do what you're supposed to do as a parent, as a brother, sister, friend, co-worker, without a healthy body. You can't love God without a healthy mind and a healthy spirit. The scripture is saying we need to love God with all of our strength. And we may think, well, look, my life is not important. It's insignificant. But let me tell you, there are people in this room right now who have been encouraged by you. There are people in this room who you've shown kindness to, who you've shown love to. You are valuable. So as I talk about health and fitness, I know sometimes it's difficult because when I come in, some people are like, oh, he's going to beat up on us. He's going to ask me to drop down and give him 20. But let me set your mind at ease. I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to lift you up. And the other thing is people sometimes expect a lot of fitness tips. I'm not here to give you fitness tips. We're going to go a little bit deeper than that. My goal is to give you a spiritual approach to how to look at your health and how to look at your life. So the title of today's message is All of Your Strength. And we're going to look at knowledge and conviction, Jesus' body, food, exercise, and stress. Point number one, knowledge and, uh, knowledge and information. Audience participation. What are some of the things we need to do to be healthy? Eat right. Exercise. What? Sleep. If we need some sleep. What kind of food do we need to eat? Healthy food. What is healthy food? 
Vegetables. What else? Fruits. Fish. Natural. That's right. A lot of water. Okay. In terms of exercise, what do we need to do? Walk. You just need to get moving. What else? Huh? Ropes? Oh, row. Yes, we need to row. We need, there's all of these different things, okay? So write those things down. We need to eat more vegetables, eat more fruit, drink more water. We need to do rowing. We need to walk. We need to eat our vegetables, right? Write them down. Now you look at that, and that right there is a whole diet and exercise plan, right? So you don't need what I'm about to teach you because you've got a plan right there. Because we're going to look at that plan, and everybody in this room is going to leave here and put that plan into practice, right? Right? <laughs> no. That's not what's going to happen. Let's not lie in church, okay? That is not what's going to happen. What is my point? My point is information does not change us. You can Google all the fitness tips you need. You can Google all of the health tips that you need. But the fact of the matter is, information doesn't change us. We have information that if we drive too fast, it is bad for our health. But some of us did it on our way to church this morning with all of the roadblocks, right? We know information that if we smoke, it's not good for our health. Some people still smoke, right? So information doesn't change us. The thing that changes us is conviction, and what is conviction? Conviction is a way of looking at the world, a belief system that causes you to act. Change the way that you live. We need to develop some deeper convictions around our health, around our strength, so that we can love God with all of our strength. We need to change the way we view health and fitness and paying attention to these things. And the other reason why I'm not going to give you a bunch of tips is because research says that at any given time, only 20% of people are ready to take action. So even with that plan that we wrote down, only 20% of us would be ready to leave here and put it into practice, let alone finish it. So what does that mean? That means we've got to develop some deeper convictions about the way we look at this so that we have longer-lasting uh, change in lifestyle and attitude towards our health. Point number two, Jesus' body. Let's go to John chapter 2, verse 19. Now, in this scripture, it's one of the first times that Jesus mentions um, his body as, as a temple. In John chapter 2, verse 19. It says, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. This scripture, Jesus is talking about his body as a temple. And the Greek word used here is naos, which means shrine. So what the Jews would have understood when Jesus used this word was he's referring to his body as the shrine of the temple of God. This is where we worship. And so they were confused. Why is Jesus referring to his body as a shrine? Because Jesus knew within his body he carried the Holy Spirit. And Jesus knew within that spirit 
that was housed in his body was the message of God. That was the message that had the power to free people from hate and turn it into love. Free people from apathy and turn it into empathy. Free people from being oppressed and to give people freedom. That spirit that was housed in Jesus' body is why we are all here today. But Jesus knew there's something deeper going on than just the physicality. Jesus was making a spiritual and a physical connection. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. The Bible reads, Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Now get this. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. There are three things we can learn from this scripture. First of all, our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. So just as Jesus described his body as a temple, our bodies are also a temple of the Holy Spirit. God has put a spirit in our bodies through which he is going to use to effect change in the world. He has given that to us. So your dreams... The things that come to you naturally, the things that are part of your spirit, your perseverance, your love, your journey. God wants to use all of that to change the world. And yet sometimes you can think, well, it's just little old me. But God has put a powerful thing within you. See, we've got to take care of this vessel that carries along God's spirit. In the Old Testament, when they talked about the temple... The temple was built with the most valuable, costly materials. There were ceremonies dedicated to the temple. Why? Because the temple was supposed to truly represent the awesomeness of God in all of his glory. That's what the temple represented. Now, when you wake up in the morning and you look at yourself in the mirror and you look at your body, do you say to yourself, There is a shining example of the glory of God. There is a representation of God's absolute awesomeness. Maybe not. We wipe the sleep from our eye. We stretch our back a little bit and we get out there into the world. But we've got to understand, we've got to protect this house that holds the spirit of God because that's what he's going to use to affect the world. Second thing, your body is not your own. Now, this can almost seem a little bit offensive. What do you mean my body is not my own? My body is the most personal thing to me. But remember, we are created beings. This scripture right here says your body is not your own. You were bought at a price. Just let me clarify that with with everything that's going on in the media right now. Yes, we do need to respect our bodies and everybody else needs to respect our bodies. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I am saying is that we were put here to serve. Here's the thing. Well, many of you you know that I have a background in dance. Many of you know that I work in fitness. But some of you don't know that I have a really intense back problem. Standing here, I went to the doctor. They did an x-ray of my spine. This was a few years ago. And they said that I have the spine of a 70-year-old. Why? Because I have degenerative arthritis in my spine. The discs in my spine over years are shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. So what has this meant? This has meant that sometimes, you know, there was a time when I wasn't taking care of my body. I was like, I'm a dancer, I'll be fine, whatever. 
And my back would go out time and time and time again. And what did that mean? It meant that the burden now was on my wife. So she has to take care of the kids. I can't be there to help her. I'm lying on my back, not able to contribute, right? And with all the knowledge that I have, I know better. I know that I should be keeping myself together. I know that I have a back issue. So I've got to keep myself healthy so that I can serve my wife, serve my kids, and not just be there. We want to be active participants in our kids' lives, in the church, not just getting through it. So our bodies aren't our own. They belong to our community. They belong to the church. They belong to God to to work through you. We get married and, you know, look... I'm not going to knock it because I make money from this, but we get married and we want to get in the best shape in our lives to get in that wedding dress or in that tuxedo, right? I have people coming to my gym. They're getting ready to get married. Boom. I'm like, come on, let's do it. And then they get in the best shape for that one day. And then we just let it go. When it's supposed to be for the rest of your life. Our bodies are not our own. They belong to the world. They belong to our spouses. They belong to God to use. Listen, you may not like me for this, but let's get real. Our church barbecues. Our church meals after after service. Our potluck dinners. How would you feel if James and Zalika mandated that at every potluck dinner, everything needed to be healthy, it was nothing but kale and quinoa. Amen. The one sister in the front says amen. Some of us are like, what is kale? What is quinoa? What is this teaching you speak of? Right? Some of us move ministries. I don't know what James is doing over there with this kale and quinoa thing. But you know what? We've got to get our minds around it. There's a study that says... Of all the religions, Christian ministers are the most stressed, unhealthy, and overweight. More than any other religion. Why? Because we want to take care of our minister. We like James. We want to feed him. Give him that fried chicken and, and all that soul food, right? He got, he got a pie right now. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> we, <laughs> we got to make sure <laughs> someone get James a salad and some water. Um, but we got to take these into account with our church community, right? We got to be thinking about these things. Let's go on. Let's t- talk about food. The Bible in Genesis talks about how God gives us us food and vegetables for our health to make us healthy. There are other scriptures that talk about, you know, nourishing our body. In, in Song of Songs, it talks about eating raisins to, to build up your strength, okay? Food was designed by God to be good-tasting fuel, to nourish us, to give us vitality, to give us strength, to nourish the spirit that is in within our body. But what's happened is we've taken food out of its natural context, And we've made food something else. We've emotionalized food. We're happy. We eat. We're sad. We eat. We celebrate. We eat. Depressed. We eat. We break up. 
Food becomes a comforter, a counselor, a confidant. It's a therapist. It's been there in the good times. It will be there in the bad times. It makes us happy. Some of us, we get that tub of ice cream and the flood of emotions that come over us as we start to open this ice cream. What's up with that? We have real feelings about food. And these gen- they're genuine feelings, but that should come from our fellowship, from our one another relationships, from our meditation, from our prayers. We now have a relationship with food. What do I mean by that? Some of us are food romantics. We just don't love food. We are in love with food. The aroma makes us weak at the knees. The taste is an overpowering experience. We prepare it. We dance with it. We're in the kitchen. We're dispatched. We get so excited about our food. Sometimes we're in church. We can't focus on the message because our stomach is grumbling. And it's hard here in Harlem, right? You've got the best Spanish restaurants, the best soul food restaurants. It's tough. How does this start? You know, we are hardwired from early in the way we talk to each other to really emotionalize food. Think about how we talk to our loved ones from a very early age. What do we call our loved ones? Sweetie, honey, cookie, baby cakes. Right? That's what we call sugar. That's right. No one calls their loved ones broccoli or carrot. Not if you, you want them to stay, your loved ones. It's hardwired into who we are as people. And we've got to understand how that becomes a part of who we are. I'll give you another freebie. Some people ask me a lot, why do I crave the bad stuff? Why is it I just don't crave healthy food? Well, when you think about early man, they were hunters and gatherers, right? So they had to go out there and get their food. So just think about this. Early man had to go out there, hunt and kill his food. Had to chase down his food. How would it work out for us if we had to chase down our food? We wouldn't eat, (laughs) right? We'd be starving. But the other thing is food was scarce. So they had to treat each meal as if it was their last meal. So we're hardwired to crave food that has the most energy, fats, sugars, carbs, all of those. We're hard-programmed to eat every single meal as if it was our last. But we live in a world now where we can have anything at any time, wherever. And so that body chemistry has no function. And so we keep eating and eating and eating when we really need to have, this is why we need to think. We really need to understand, am I really hungry? What am I doing here? Food is supposed to nourish our bodies. And I know sometimes we're like, well, look, how do we do it? Harlem just got a new Whole Foods. Right? That's awesome. Now, I know some people say Whole Foods, Whole Check, too expensive. But just go. Go and explore. Go and see what you can afford. Go and see what, it mean, what natural food looks like. Let's leave Popeyes alone after church. I know some of you will go in there, right? Let's leave Popeyes alone. <laughs> I'm sorry, bro. 
trying to encourage y'all. That's all. Leave it alone. We've got to explore. And here's the other thing. Yes, it can be expensive. That's part of the reasons why on your chairs, right, I've left a book. It's from an organization here in Harlem called the Sylvia Center. And what they do is they help uh, teens and young kids learn how to cook healthy meals so that they can take it home. One kid actually learned how to cook. His father was on diabetes medication. His father lost 50 pounds, and now he's healthy, right? So the recipes in there, it's great. They're like seven, you can buy the ingredients for seven bucks, and it shows you how to cook for a family of eight for, for seven bucks, right? So I'm not going to give you all of the practical tips, but that's one resource you can have to go home and, and put into practice. There's English and Spanish versions. Uh, if you haven't got a Spanish version, you can see them at the back. But we've got to take care of our health. Next thing, physical exercise. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Now, we can get tripped up on this scripture. It says, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present and the life to come. Now, to be clear, the scripture is saying, the true meaning of the scripture is saying that, yes, physical training is great, but godliness is far greater, right? We know this. But the Bible is still making a point that physical training is of value. And the physical training they were talking about here was athletic training. So, back in the day, there was no ballets, there was no Planet Fitness. But they still knew that physical training was valuable. Now, I think what we do in the church is we look at the scripture and we say, hey, yeah, physical training is of some value, but I'd rather be godly. I'm too spiritual to focus on my body. We've got to think. Here's the thing. Most of us here who work make more than $20 a week, right? I would hope. If not, we'll pray for you. But we make more than $20 a week. You walking down the street and you see $20 on the floor. Do you say to yourself, my paycheck is of much greater value and therefore I will not pick up the $20? No. You pick it up. If it's 10 cents, you pick it up. And you give glory to God. God has blessed me with this 10 cents today. Right? It is of some value. In the same way, physical training is of some value. The Bible, the Bible writers understood that. There are 600 muscles in your body, 206 bones. You were designed to move. God didn't put that together just for fun. We were designed to move. The average American sits for 13 hours a day. And they've actually coined it a sitting disease. Because when you, it's, it's correlated to heart disease, it's correlated to heart, uh, high blood pressure the longer that you sit every single day. But physical training is of some value. What value? It sharpens your focus. You get more, more oxygen to the, to the brain through your blood. So you can concentrate more. You can think more. Um, they've said uh, exercise enhances your mood. So if you are cranky at work, exercise helps alleviate that. Clinical studies have shown that exercise can relieve depression in the same way as some prescription medications. Exercise can stave off the effects of Alzheimer's. Impulse control. If you ever shop on impulse, if you ever eat on impulse, if you ever do things impulsively, exercise and the serotonin and the endorphins that come with that, these are natural body hormones, can help you with that. 
So yes, physical training is of some value. Do not overlook that scripture. The problem is, we get all excited and we want to go from zero to 100. Here's the thing. Start where you are at. If you haven't exercised in 10 years, do not start to try and run a marathon. Okay? Start walking. Start becoming active. If you're active, start pushing the limits a little bit more. Raise your heart rate. If you're already active, go all the way and build your strength. Be an example to others. And I know some of you might say, well, Robert, I've started so many times and I failed. Here's the thing. What they don't tell you is that to change any behavior, and I've got to be careful because my wife is a behavior analyst and she has a friend here who is also a behavior analyst, so if I get it wrong, you can see them. But one of the things that they say is that to change any behavior, you need to fail seven times. It takes a cycle of seven cycles of failure. So you try, you give it your best, you fail, you learn from it, and you move forward. And so what can happen is when we fail, we can feel like it's a spiral downwards. But so long as you keep learning, so long as you fail forward, so long as you fail fast and you don't remain guilty, it's a spiral upwards to your ultimate success. So failure is part of the process. Be encouraged. If you fail, good. You are closer to success. Why is this important to me? It's important to me because in our community, there's a high incidence of high blood pressure, heart attack, diabetes. Put your hands up if you know someone who's had a heart attack, diabetes, high blood pressure. Look around the room. This is our community. This is why this is important to me. There are people, and the, reason, and the other thing is, those things, the reason I mention those things is because they are largely preventable by healthy living. Yet so many of us suffer with these things because we don't have a right way of looking at it. And I, there's so much I wanted to go into today about how the world forces us to look at it. I don't have time for that today. But we've really got to have a spiritual connection to this. You know, you know how serious it is? Go to Proverbs chapter 23, verse 2. This scripture right here says, and put a knife to your throat if you are given to gluttony. Put a knife to your throat if you're given to gluttony? Why? Because it really costs people's lives. Since I've been in uh, the church, I've seen at least six people die due to obesity-related issues. People who have served, people who have given, people who have done so much for so many people. And I know sometimes the, 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 I hear back, well, you know, if it was God's time, it was God's time. But it's very clear through the Bible the things we do can end our life early. And so we've got to start having a realistic look at this. One, one brother, you know, was a single brother. This was years ago while I was in the Harlem ministry. Passed away from a heart attack. I was the second person to the apartment after he was dead there on the floor after having a heart attack. And what I thought to myself is, that stuff comes with no warning. You don't get a letter. We've got to really start taking this stuff seriously. The other thing is there's a longitude, there was a longitudinal study done, and it looked at the effects 
of diet and exercise. And what they found was that unhealthy, an unhealthy diet and exercise regimen can shorten your life by as much as 20 years. That is more than smoking, and that is more than alcohol. So when you hear those slogans, drink, drink responsibly, we need to eat responsibly. We need to take care of our body responsibly. What could you do with 20 more years? I want to be around to give my daughters as much as I can give them. What could you do? And sometimes we're not emotionally connected to it. And I, was, I wasn't going to share this, but the ironic thing is that yesterday, as I was preparing this message, I've had a stressful week. I was tired. I was preparing this message, and I started to get uh, pains in my chest. I was like, is this psychosomatic because I'm talking about this? I'm feeling this? Like, you know, and I'm questioning myself. And I'm like, you know what? It was happening. It, w it was there for a while. So I was like, you know what? Let me go to the doctors. So I went to the doctors. And while I was at the doctor, I was like, you know, they're going to tell me it's nothing. I can go home and get on with my night, right? I get to the doctors. They do an EKG. And they see two blips on my heart. And the doctor says, you know what? You need to go to the emergency room right now. She gives me uh, two aspirins, sends me to the emergency room. Now, at that moment, I was like, do I really need to go? As much as I'm preparing this message, this is what I do for my life, I'm like, do I really need to go? I end up going, and uh, thank God we have uh, Moen, who's a, who's a cardiologist, and I was able to send him a picture of my, uh, my EKG. He wasn't worried. He said, but you've got to go. So I went, I'm fine. They cleared everything, and I'm good. But for me, it made it real when I saw how emotionally it affected my wife and it affected my daughters. So sometimes I can feel like, you know, I'm sharing this stuff. Does it have any real resonance? But no, it affects people. Some of us need to go to the doctors. I know some of those tests are crazy. You just got to go and get them done. Some of us need to take our medication. Need to stay on it. Some of us, I know this is taboo, but some of us need to go to therapy. I've been to therapy. I know ministers who've been to therapy. Some of us need to take care of that stuff. And not get so taboo. The Bible says that uh, it's a man of understanding that draws us out. Sometimes we need to go and see someone who has more understanding than we do. And listen, harvesters, you don't get off the hook. I know we're like, we're, we're old, we're up there, we're, we're going on to glory. But no, no, no. We need you here right now. We need your wisdom. You guys know all those old school herbal remedies, right? We need some of that. You need to get walking. You need to go meet each other. Go walk through Harlem. Go cook healthy meals together. You guys have got to, you know, we need you here. Influence the rest of us. Final thing I'm going to talk about to bring it to landing is stress. Stress today is like a way of life in the 21st century. You've got to work. You've got to take care of your family. You've got to serve in a church. You've got to do all of these things. And we can be stressed out. And I think as disciples, we can be in denial if we're stressed because it's almost like it's unspiritual. We're in denial. You know what denial stands for? Don't even know I'm lying. I'm too blessed to be stressed. You've heard that, right? 
Too blessed to be stressed. We say it in the church and, and all of that stuff. Here's the thing. You know, God's blessed my life. I came to this country with a duffel bag full of clothes and $200. God's helped me meet the woman of my dreams. I've got two awesome kids. If you can put the kids up there, look at that. I call them my chocolate chip Hershey kisses from heaven. Love them. I've been blessed. But let me tell you something. The blessings can give you stress. These two blessings right here can stress my wife and I out like nothing. My wife is a behavioral analyst. I train people for a living, and we still can't figure out how to put our kids to bed on time. How does that work? Stress. My wife is undoubtedly the best thing that's ever happened to me beside Jesus. But we can stress each other out. When I got married, I thought, I'm going to be good at this. I'm a dancer. I'm sensitive. I'm a good communicator. I speak a couple of languages. I've got this. There was one language I didn't speak, and that was called wife. And now I'm in remedial class. But the blessings can stress us out. So let's get rid of this notion that we don't get stressed. Have you ever found yourself in the grip of anxiety and worry? Even though we're spiritual, thinking about things that might happen. John chapter 14. John chapter 14 verse 27 says, I am leaving you with a gift. This is a New Living Translation. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a, is a peace the world cannot give. So do not be troubled or afraid. What Jesus is saying here, the word used for peace is shalom. And it's much more holistic in nature. It means a balance of mind and soul and spirit. He's concerned about your whole emotional entire well-being. See, following Christ, Christ is supposed to do something in us. And I think what happens is we get baptized, we know we're going to heaven, and that's it. So the saving work of Christ has done something for us. But we need Christ to be able to do something in us. It is possible to be saved and miserable. It is possible to be saved and go into heaven and not healed, not at peace, not a whole life-giving, healthy person. It is possible for the cross to have done something for us, but not something in us. Are we healed emotionally? Are we at peace? For some of us, our past haunts us, or maybe it's even the present that haunts us, and it's affecting us spiritually and physically. Sometimes the thing that is standing in our way of us giving all of our strength to God is what's going on in here in our brains. Coming to a close, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. <clears throat> it says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? At the bottom it says, Therefore do not worry, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What this scripture is teaching us is to live a life without anxiety. 
to commit ourselves and our lives to God, not in a hokey way, but in a real surrender, knowing that God is going to take care of us. How many of you are aware right now of the blood that's coursing through your veins? We're not. How many of us are in control of our breathing? It happens naturally. Of all the reactions that are going on in our body, why? Because God has got us. Some of us need to just chill, take, take a deep, take a collective deep breath. Breathe in, breathe out. One more time, breathe in, breathe out and let God take it away, right? God has got us. Sometimes, you know, look, sometimes we need to learn to say no. We need to examine the reasons why we don't say no, why we feel guilty, why we feel we have to uh, meet everybody else's agenda. Especially as parents, some mother's like, that's my baby, I can't say no. Your baby's 40 years old. You tell your baby no. Sometimes your baby needs to figure it out. Sometimes saying no is the best thing for them. Sometimes people, and sometimes at first people won't get it, but eventually they need to readjust, they will adjust around your no. You just need to keep saying it and saying it and saying it until they get it. Let's say it together. No. Nah, it's weak, man. Harlem. One, two, three. Thank you. You better tell people no. Get used to it. It feels a little strange. But sometimes people get, need to get used to it. And finally, culturally. Sometimes it depends on the culture. Our cultures can put a lot on us. I'm African, my wife is Guyanese. The African culture, man, sometimes it can be hard. It's like if you, I remember at school, you don't get good grades, what's going to happen to you? You're going to live under a bridge. I'm like, (laughs) maybe I can do some classes to get me better before that happens. But then I have this anxiety, if I don't do well, I'm going to be poor, I'm going to be broke, I'm going to be under a bridge. And I say that to my kids, my kids are like, Dad, you know, I'm not living under a bridge, I'll figure it out before then. The Guyanese culture, stress about everything. Stress about the, most, the, the minutest things. And then you put our, our families together. It's, we have these cultural things. I don't know what, where you're from. Hispanic, white, English, Irish, whatever. You have cultural things that stress you out. Expectations that your parents have that, you know, you're not meeting. We've got to understand, hand that over to God. And finally... The healthy lifestyle of Jesus' way, John chapter 4, verse 16. And this is what I'll leave you with. I believe, as a church, we are uniquely positioned to really change our lives and help the world change in a healthy way. I re- there's other stuff I really wanted to go into, but I can't for today. But the world has a very unhealthy way of looking at life, health, diet, exercise. As a church, we understand what it means to learn a conviction, live by that conviction, and change our lives based around a conviction. That's what we have to offer. If we get a handle on this, we will save lives spiritually and we will save lives physically. One of my uh, good friends is here. He's a trainer who works with me, a guy called Salim. He's in the background there. And, um, you know... He's worked with a lot of clients, and one client 
Um, one of our clients, she lost 60, she lost 60 pounds over the course of about a year. But she's so grateful because of the life it's given her, because of what she can do for her kids. We need to take what we have here um, spiritually and give it to the world. What do I mean by this? John chapter 4, verse 16. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, Jesus was definitely talking about salvation. But the thing I want you to look at is he says, I am the way. That way means this is a lifestyle. This is a continual walk. This is the way we are to orient our, our, our lives around a spiritual conviction and principle. The original word for diet is dietada, which means the way. The same principle that Jesus describes himself as here. It's supposed to be a way of life, a way of looking at things, a spiritual way of being. As disciples, we have what we need already to change our lives around a new set of principles, to give all of ourselves, all of our might, all of our strength to serving God, loving God, and giving Him our best, giving yourselves the best, giving our communities the best. So in closing... If we are going to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and our strength, we need to build some new convictions. We need to get deeper. If we're going to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, we've got to take food out of its unnatural place. It is not an emotional counselor. We need to get that from our prayer, from our fellowship, and we need to explore ways to eat food in a healthy way. If we are going to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, we're going to need to start moving. Get up, encourage each other, do these things together. We're going to have to address the stress in our lives. And as a church, we're going to have to understand that this is a way of living that we can do together. Amen.